Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 67, The Year of the Four Emperors. Right, Nero's dead and the Julio-Claudians are extinct, so what can the Romans do next? There are no members of the previous ruling family to turn to this time. No Uncle Claudius hiding in the palace, ready to save the day. So will it be a return to the Republic, or will there be another emperor? Who will bring order from chaos? Well, nobody. Chaos is what there will be for the next year. The year of 69 AD represents a competition between four men for the leadership of the civilised world. So, in the spirit of competition, let's introduce the contestants in order of age. Servius Sulpicius Galba was born in about 3 BC to an important family. He was about 72 years old when Nero died. Galba served as praetor and consul in the 30s and was left a great deal of money when his father died. He was popular with the Julio-Claudians, particularly Livia the Augusta. Unfortunately, when Galba's father died, Tiberius, who was having one of his grumpy spells with his mother, wouldn't let Galba have his fortune. Fortunately for Galba, Caligula, when he became emperor, cancelled this order and Galba became very rich. Under Nero, Galba was made governor of Hispania Tarraconensis, one of the empire's most important provinces. He was a fair governor, if a little harsh, but a humorless and boring man. Titus Flavius Vespasianus was born in 9 AD and so was 59 years old when the emperor committed suicide. He had two sons, Titus and Domitian. Vespasian had many important roles under Claudius and Nero, including playing a leading role in the conquest of Britannia. He retired when he realised his star was waning and he wasn't getting any better jobs. He had risen as high as he could, and when he fell asleep during a performance by Nero, he was sent away. Vespasian was recalled by Nero to put down the Jewish revolt, an exploit in which he was very successful, and in 68 AD was in the east with Titus, this is where he learned that Nero was dead. Vespasian was the only one of the four candidates for the top job who had adult sons who could potentially succeed him. Titus was already 28 and Domitian 18. Aeolus Vitellius was born in 15, the son of an important senator and was 53 years old in 68 AD. His father had been consul three times under the emperor Claudius and had served with the emperor as censor the elder Vitellius had seen a very bad prediction by an astrologer that if his son was ever put in charge of an army, there would be a disaster. He tried to make sure the young man never had military commands. The younger Vitellius was a larger-than-life character who ate four large meals every day and was fat and often drunk. Suetonius tells us he had a pronounced limp because he had once been run over by a chariot driven by Caligula. The legions of the Rhine, though, remembered how strict Galba had been and came to love Vitellius because he wasn't. In 69, he was in charge of these Rhine legions as governor of one of the provinces of Germania. But more of that in a little while. Marcus Salvius Otho had been a drinking friend of Nero. He was born in 32, and when his old mate died was only 36 years old. When Nero stole Otho's wife, Poppaea, he promoted Otho to governor of Lusitania, nearly a thousand miles from Rome. Otho did a reasonably good job governing his province and attempted to forge a close relationship with Galba, whose province was next to his. Like the elder Vitellius, Otho had consulted a wise man. The seer had told Otho that he would be emperor, 
but only after Galba. Getting close to the older man was, in Otho's eyes, a necessary step on the path towards the ultimate aim, leadership of the Empire. Augustus had arranged the power base in ancient Rome so that the Emperor commanded so many troops that he couldn't be defeated. Now, though, there was no Emperor. Three of the four contenders each commanded a significant army, and each could think of defeating the others. So, what happened? When Nero ran out of friends, the Senate had already named Galba as successor. Once Nero was dead, Galba accepted the offer and agreed to become Emperor. Unfortunately, Sabinus, the Praetorian Prefect, promised the Praetorian Guard lots and lots of money if they supported Galba. Galba had never agreed, and on hearing about it, he decided not to pay up. Everyone agreed that Galba would make a great emperor. He made sure that Spain would be okay before he left for Rome, and appointed a man called Rufus as governor. He also appointed Vitellius to lead the legions on the Rhine. In Rome, Sabinus was soon declaring himself emperor and pretending to be the son of Caligula. He was quickly murdered by the guards. Galba took a step that most future emperors would take. He gave himself the name Caesar, despite the fact he was in no way related to the previous imperial family. Over time, Caesar would cease to be a name and become a title. In the later empire, Caesar would be a title given to a junior emperor serving alongside a more senior colleague. The senior colleague's title was, of course, Augustus. Otho, meanwhile, was declaring his loyalty to Galba and decided to join the trip to Rome. He was expecting that Galba would see him as a loyal follower and worthy of being his heir. Galba left for Rome, but if anyone or any town on the way didn't immediately declare their support, Galba had the local leaders executed. When the old man reached Italy, he demanded that a new legion recently created by Nero should disperse. The new legion, quite understandably, refused, and Galba had many of them massacred by his army. Then he had the survivors decimated. That is, literally decimated. One in ten were killed to make an example to the rest. Galba quite systematically eradicated many of Nero's supporters and appointed his own men to senior positions. The legions on the Rhine were used to Galba, as he had been their commander. They hated him. They knew him to be a cruel and demanding leader. They were horrified that this old tyrant had been elevated to the highest office, and so the troops declared Vitellius emperor. The person who was most surprised by this was, well, Vitellius. But he agreed he would be a very fine emperor, and had a big feast to celebrate. He sent his two generals, Valens and Caecina, with their legions, to invade Rome and remove Galba. In the east, Vespasian heard about Nero's death and that Galba was now emperor. He decided to declare his support for Galba and sent his eldest son Titus to speak with him and tell him. Maybe Vespasian realised that Galba was an old man and wouldn't be around forever. Maybe, like Otho, he thought the childless Galba would need an heir and there was a chance that the heir would be him. Back in Rome, Galba refused to pay the money promised to the Praetorian Guard. In fact, he refused to give them any money at all. He famously declared, I choose my soldiers, I do not buy them. The guards were very, very annoyed. Everyone in Rome was waiting to see who would be named as the emperor's successor. Of course, Otho was already convinced it would be him. In early 69 AD, however, Galba heard the Rhine legions were in revolt and declared that Lucius Calpurnius Piso would be his heir. It's unclear why this man was chosen. 
The only thing that made him stand out was that he was the brother of the man who had plotted against Nero. Piso was, of course, very pleased. Otho was furious. The Praetorian guards still hadn't had any money, and so were also very unhappy. Otho had been promising the Praetorians their money when he became heir, and was now heavily in debt, embarrassed and angry. Everyone had agreed that Galba would make a great emperor, until he actually became emperor. Now virtually everyone hated him. Otho raised a small group of conspirators and decided to get rid of the old man. In January 69 AD, the conspirators called for the guards to gather and Otho gave a rousing speech asking them to act quickly for the benefit of the empire. Otho ordered some of the cavalry out of the camp to find Galba. Galba rode out to meet the cavalrymen. The men charged headlong into Galba's party and stabbed Galba and Piso to death. Their heads were used by Otho's troops as footballs. Otho was now emperor of the Roman Empire. So, one down, three to go. Both Vitellius and Vespasian's son Titus heard that Galba was dead and Otho was now emperor. Titus headed back to Judea to have a chat with his father about what to do next. Vespasian's younger son, Domitian, was in Rome at the time of Galba's murder and Vespasian and Titus were concerned for his safety amongst the chaos. Vitellius decided it was too late to turn back, even though the object of his troops' rage was gone. He let Valens and Caecina carry on into Italy to face Otho's army, even though it was really Galba they had wanted to be rid of. Like Galba, Otho took the name Caesar. As we know, Otho had been told by an astrologer he would be emperor, but he forgot to ask how long he would be emperor for. Galba had only lasted seven months. Otho would only make three. The first thing he did was to see what was on the horizon for Galba, and he discovered that Vitellius's Rhine legions were in full revolt, had declared Vitellius emperor, and were nearly in Italy. This was very bad news indeed. Otho didn't have enough troops to match Vitellius, so he ordered the Balkan legions to come to Italy and help. He decided to meet Vitellius at the Po River. Unfortunately for Otho, his army was badly beaten at the Battle of Bedriacum by Caecina and Valens and their armies. Otho received the news and realised he couldn't win. He told his supporters he didn't want to involve them all in a civil war and they should throw their weight behind Vitellius. He went to bed and when he woke up on April the 16th, he stabbed himself to death, aged just 36. Some see him as a hero for this unselfish action. Otho, though, was the first emperor to have personally arranged the removal and death of his predecessor. This hadn't happened before. Sadly, Vidius Julianus, Caracalla, Trebonianus Gallus and many other future emperors, it would most certainly happen again, and again, and again, and again. It was not a good precedent. But, for the contest of the year of the four emperors, it's now two down, two to go. Vitellius was pronounced emperor by the Senate. He threw a huge drunken party and decided to commence his glorious march on Rome. He marched through Gaul in the summer of 69 in triumph. Valens and Caecina argued and vied for the most important positions in the new regime. The new emperor wouldn't enter Rome until late June or early July. Conscious of making a break with the Julio-Claudian past, Vitellius was reluctant to assume the title of Princeps, even though he made offerings to the gods and declared himself consul for life. Vitellius did seem to show some good sense. He assumed his powers gradually and was generally lenient to Otho's supporters. 
even pardoning Otho's brother, Salvius Titianus, who had played a key role in the earlier, if very brief, regime. Later, he would continue the practice of providing entertainments for the Roman masses. Otho's supporters, though, could not bring themselves to support Vitellius, and they looked east. Vespasian and the legions of the east had had enough. They couldn't allow Vitellius to become emperor. They weren't sure about Otho, but they were definitely not having Vitellius. Otho's legions were not sure about what to do next, but Vitellius had known exactly what to do, hold a huge drunken party in Lugdunum. It had taken him six more weeks to get to Rome, drinking and eating all the way. He entered Rome dressed in a simple toga, had another party, and then set about ruling his new domain. Back in the east, Vespasian himself decided to wait and see what happened, but a thought started to grow in his mind. The governor of nearby Syria whispered to the great general that he should try his luck, and the governor of Egypt soon joined in. A prophecy that a new leader of the world would come from the east was heard by the troops. This was all that Vespasian's legions needed. They proclaimed him emperor, and he accepted. Vespasian travelled to Alexandria to ensure his support in Egypt, while his troops made for Rome. The Balkan legions were keen to start, and decided to invade Rome under their leader, Antonius. They soon reached Italy. Vitellius sent Caecina to repel the invasion, but when he arrived at Cremona, he changed sides. Most of the troops remained loyal to Vitellius, and Caecina was arrested and locked up. Vespasian's army met the Vitellian troops in a night battle called the Second Battle of Bedriacum. The battle raged all night, but as the day broke, the eastern armies, who had been in the east for many years, turned to greet the sun as it rose. This was customary among eastern troops. When this happened, the Vitellians thought that their enemies were greeting reinforcements, and the whole Vitellian army fled, scared, into the early morning light. Vespasian's supporters had won. Antonius continued to roam at the head of the victorious Flavian army. Valens was killed in the battle, and Caecina had changed sides. Vitellius had no important friends left. He sat in Rome wondering what to do. Vespasian's friends in Rome offered to spare his life if he gave up the throne, and Vitellius agreed to abdicate, probably realising he wasn't really emperor material, and this was a good way out. He held some talks with Vespasian's brother, Flavius Sabinus, who was in Rome at the time. Unfortunately, the few Vitellian troops left in Rome didn't agree, and they had Sabinus killed. This was not a great idea. The supporters of the Flavians were up in arms, and Vitellius's chance to abdicate was gone. Domitian only just managed to escape by fleeing in disguise. There was now no stopping the Flavian troops, and Antonius stormed in and took the city. The soldiers stumbled upon Vitellius in the imperial palace and beheaded him. The head was paraded through the city on a spike, and his body was thrown into the Tiber. He was 54 years old, and had reigned about nine months. This most unlikely emperor had met an entirely predictable end. He didn't last very long, so it's difficult to assess how good an emperor he really was. There are some indications he may have turned out to be better than expected. He showed deference and respect for the Senate, and dated his rise to the top job from the date the senators had declared for him, rather than when his troops had raised him to imperial rank. He encouraged discussion and free speech. But he was gone, so three down and one new emperor to go. The Senate had now had enough, and declared Vespasian emperor. 
18-year-old Domitian was still in Rome and he was given the title Caesar while the city of Rome waited for Vespasian's arrival. All of the empire was exhausted and the civil wars were at an end. All things considered, the civil wars of Galba, Otho, Vitellius and Vespasian were nowhere near as extensive or destructive as those of the late Republic. Julius Caesar, Pompey the Great, Mark Antony and Octavian had commanded much larger armies and presided over far more battle carnage than the combatants of the year of the four emperors. What was clearly demonstrated, though, was that emperors and imperial families were immovable. As the imperial system evolved, this would happen over and over again. Dynasties would rise and fall, and emperors would be dispatched and replaced. For an emperor of Rome, dying of natural causes was the best indication that he had done a good job. Of the truly outstanding emperors, only Aurelian was actually assassinated. But, for now, all was quiet. A new dynasty had been founded. All hail the Flavians. Next time, we'll follow the careers of the first two of the three emperors of the Flavian dynasty. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.